This morning's scripture reading will be from Exodus 2. I'll be reading chapter, uh, verses 1 through 15. Exodus 2, 1 through 15. Now man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a child, or bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him, to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and and he became her son. She She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Good morning to each of you, and greetings in the Savior's name. Good to be with you again in this place of worship, and uh, to see all of you who are here this morning. One of the things I thought about as I was uh, listening to the uh, opening comments and the announcements here, the reports, one of the things that I've noticed uh, since becoming involved in the congregation that I've always appreciated has been your intentionality about uh, preaching here, about teaching here, about your involvement in the community through Salvation Army, through the food bank, through Harris Gardens, through community picnic, and probably a whole lot of things I never hear about. But I just want to commend you for that. It is it is a blessing to me to see that uh, you are so involved in many things. 
Well, let's see if we can make technology work for an old man here this morning. <laughs> one of the things that so many in our world today, uh, one of the questions so many of us deal with is, who am I? Who am I as an individual? What is the call of my life? Why am I here? And sociologists, at least some of them, some of the time, will tell you that we're the product of four things. Heredity, environment, nurture, and self-determination. Now, we can't change our DNA. We receive that at birth. We are who we are in terms of DNA. I can't change that I'm a wrestler. You can't change that you're a Martin or a Heat Wool or a Stolsus or a Biler. Uh, that is what it is. Nor can we change our past environment. You know, I grew up in a specific neighborhood and so did you. It is what it is or is what it was. Uh, we really didn't have any control over that. And it had its influences on them, for better or for worse. Uh, but they were what they were. And uh, we can't change that. Our nurture, or the lack of it, not much we can do with that either. Uh, you, we've been taught what we've been taught. We've learned what we've learned. And uh, we use that to get on in life. The one thing that we are in control of is self-determination. What am I going to do with all of that now? With my DNA, with my environment, with my nurture? What am I going to do with it? That I have some control over. And Moses found himself in a similar place. His heredity was what it was. He had no control over that. He didn't have control over the environment in the early part of his life anyway. He didn't have control over the nurture either that he received. But he did have some control over what he would do with all of that uh, information and, and influence on his life, we will become, we need to become our own person in light of God's plan and call on our lives. We need to self-determine. Um, I have known people who have never been able to do that. Uh, people who have lived all their lives as the son of so-and-so, or the daughter of so-and-so. And in their own minds, they've never really become a person in their own right. And we need to be able to do that. As I think of the life of Moses, I believe that he dealt with that situation himself. So I've entitled the message this morning, Discovery, Dilemma, and Decision. And... Uh, I invite you to turn with me into the book of Hebrews and uh, follow along as I reread from uh, verses 23 through 29. Hebrews 11, beginning of verse 23. I'll just point out before I start that you will find the phrase, by faith, five times. <laughs> In this reading, verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So the first thing I want to look at this morning, then, is discovery. One of the primary facets of growing up, growing into the people that God wants us to be and designed us to be, involves discovery. And I wonder if many of us don't struggle with that at times. Do you ever wonder, who am I? Really? Why am I here? What's God's purpose for me? And I think it relates not only to who we are in terms of our identity, but it also involves what God's call on our life is, what God plans and purposes for us as individuals. Moses was born at a difficult time in the life of the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His biological people were living in slavery. They were crying out to God for help. And God had determined to help them. We could have also read Exodus 3 this morning. Very striking comments in chapter 3. God is speaking to Moses and he tells him this. He said, I have seen their oppression. I have heard their cry and know their sorrows. I've seen, I heard, and I know. And I intend to do something about it. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Moses, you're going to help me. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. You are going to help me to deliver these people from the land of Egypt. Now Moses is living in the wilderness, in the desert. He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And God gets his attention through a burning bush. And this bush wouldn't burn up. And he said, let me turn aside and see what's going on here. And God calls to him out of the bush. And what does Moses do? He answers. He said, here I am. So God calls and Moses answers. And then God is able to share with him what he wants to do with Moses' life. I find that very interesting. God sees, he hears, he knows, and he has a plan for delivery but guess who he uses to implement that plan? A man. <laughs> People. You know, God has some things he wants done in this community. How's he going to do it? People. People sitting in this same very congregation this morning, I believe. 
believe that God will use you to carry out his plan. And I notice another response of Moses. He turns aside and says, here I am. And God tells him what he needs done, what he wants Moses to do. And then Moses asks the question, who am I? Here I am, but now who am I? Lord, who am I that you think that I can carry all of this out? Who am I that you think I'm qualified for this? I don't know what all he knew or had discovered by this time in his life about his heritage and history, his separation from his people and family. I don't know how much he knew about God's interest in the people of Israel or his plan for the people of Israel. Stephen says in Acts 7, verse 20, And this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. So she took him into her house. She brought him up as her own son. With all of her influence and encouragement, with all the wealth and comfort probably that we could even imagine, with all the opportunity and privilege that one would have in that setting, with all the instruction and education. Stephen tells us Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he says that he was mighty in words and deeds. So here is a young man who's been raised with all that influence, given the education of Egypt, and had become mighty in words and deeds. And this certainly must have had some effect in terms of bonding. I don't know what bonding took place between he and his mother. I don't know what kind of bonding took place between he and Pharaoh's daughter, but certainly all of this must have had some effect on that. So who am I? He went out to right or wrong that he saw occurring. Well, I don't know if he went out to do it, but he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And he stepped in to correct it, killed the Egyptian, hit him. The following day, he saw two Israelites fighting. He stepped in to solve that issue as well. And uh, he discovered that people didn't have the same perception of him that he had of himself. He thought they should have known that he would be the one to deliver them from Egypt. But they didn't seem to have that knowledge or that awareness. So who is he? Is he Pharaoh's son? Or is he an Israelite? One of God's people. He certainly had some understanding of that if he thought he would be the one to deliver them. But how much, we don't know. Where does his heart belong? Where does his allegiance lie? Perhaps you, like I, have struggled with this question as well. Who am I? 
in my own experience, uh, I my parents are gone, uh, good people, love them dearly. I was ex- conceived out of wedlock. And over the years, as I experienced and observed some of the relational troubles and family troubles, and uh, my father's being absent from the family for about 20 years, I began to struggle, too, with who am I, really? What is my purpose for being here? I began to wonder if I was the cause of their problems. (laughs) If I had not come along, would they have married? Would things have been better? I don't know. Those things you don't have answers to. I only found peace eventually when I discovered that I am one of God's children. I'm created in his image. What more could we ask for? I attended public high school. I was the only Mennonite boy in the school. So I experienced a good bit of ridicule, some name calling and so on. But you survive those things and you move on. But you do begin to wonder, you know, who am I really? In my case, I guess, in that struggle with inferiority and insecurity, I acted in ways that were less than model. <laughs> I think, uh, what would the, the counselors today call that, acting out? <laughs> I guess that's what we would, we would call that. Like Moses, I was questioning, you know, who am I? And perhaps some of you may have wrestled with that same question. Well, I believe that discovery can and often does lead to dilemma. Dilemma is defined as a difficult situation in which you have to choose from two or more alternatives. And Moses came to that place in life. It says, verse 24, by faith, when he was grown up, (laughs) he had to make a decision. He needed to decide. By the fact of his adoption by Pharaoh's daughter, by her provision for him, by her education of him, Egypt had a claim on the life of Moses. They could say he's one of ours. He's one of us. He belongs here in the court. Maybe he would have become king eventually. I don't know that. But they had a claim to his life, to his person. We can relate to that, I think, as we begin to discover who we are. We discover that there are some who have laid a claim to us as well. Satan wants to claim you and I by reason of the fact that we are descendants of Adam, we are born with sinful natures, with natures that manifest itself increasingly sinful until and unless by faith we come to Jesus and allow him to cleanse us and to renew us through the transformation of our minds. Um, so <clears throat> Satan, Egypt, Egypt is often used as a type of the world. So Satan or Egypt has a claim on us. He wants to claim us for himself. And it's a temptation to be defined by that call. 
But here's the dilemma. You got to choose. You can't walk in both worlds. Moses couldn't be the son of Pharaoh's daughter and one of the people of God. Jesus teaches very clearly, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. On toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again talks about two ways in life. Not a half a dozen, not three or four, two ways. A broad way with a wide gate that leads to destruction, and a narrow gate and a straight way that leads to life everlasting. And the choice has to be ours. Which, which way do we take? We take one or the other. God has a claim on our life as well. Came to Moses at the bush and said, Moses, I need your service. I, I'm putting a claim on your life. And now he's at that point in life where he has to make that decision. Not only did he need to decide who he is, but also who am I going to be? Uh, there is a difference. Who am I, but who am I going to be as well? Oftentimes, we may find ourselves in those dilemmas. As a 17-year-old boy, my younger, one of my younger brothers was killed playing softball. And uh, my father was not around. My mother told me, said, you need to go find your father and tell him to come home. Well, I, had, uh, I did have driver's license, the only one of my brothers that did at that point. So I uh, took my car and went to a neighboring town. And after several attempts, I found him at, uh, sitting at a bar and gave him the news and said, you need to come home. David's been killed. And it began to dawn on me that I, too, faced a dilemma. My father was walking in the ways of Egypt. Uh, I could easily have gone down that trail, too. I am human. <laughs> All of us are human, can fail. We can choose to walk down that path. And I realized that I, too, was going to have to make a decision. You know, which way am I going to go? Am I going to walk the ways of Egypt, or am I going to follow the path that God wants to lay out for me? <clears throat> well, that's the dilemma. You know, we, we wrestle, we struggle with, who am I? But what does God want of me? Uh, who, who should I really be? Where should my heart be? Where should my allegiance be? I can't walk in two worlds. I need to make that decision, that choice. That's a dilemma. Dilemma, I guess I won't say always, <laughs> but very often demands decision. We have to decide. You see, we might say, well, I, I don't want to make a decision. But when we don't make a decision, we're actually making a decision. We make a decision by not making a decision. And so we can't dodge it. We need to be honest. We need to answer that question. As I returned from finding my father, I made a decision. <clears throat> now, it wasn't the last decision, and it wasn't the only one, because it didn't go far enough. 
I made a decision then that I would never in my life let beverage alcohol become part of my life. And to this day, I never have. Well, that was a decision, but that really wasn't enough decision. But that was a decision that I made at that point. So I returned home, and life went on. A few years later, uh, I gained some additional perspective when uh, I was dating Melanie and came home uh, one evening and fell asleep and uh, hit another car head on. And uh, in, I started to go through the windshield, and, and the glass went in over my eyes uh, through my sinus and to the edge of the brain. And as I was laying in my front seat choking on my own blood, I thought, oh, my. This could be the end. Is this really the way I want to go? <laughs> Am I ready to go? And I prayed that God would spare my life, and thankfully, he did. So that was a dilemma, again, that I was facing. The other driver, fortunately, was on hurt. But sometime later then, I was sitting on my porch swing on a Sunday afternoon, and I realized what I needed to do. I needed to make a decision. I needed to make a full decision. <laughs> I needed to decide if I was going to walk with one foot in the world and one foot over here in God's kingdom. That wasn't working out very well. It never works out. And so I had to make that decision, and I did. I made the decision that I would walk with the people of God. Now, that... <laughs> That's had its good days and its bad days. <laughs> it's had days when I've been faithful to that commitment and days that I haven't been. <laughs> but that's the beauty of love and grace and mercy, that as we come back in faith again, in repentance, God will pick us up and help us on in this journey of life. And so I made that decision that I would give, I would try to give, <laughs> all of my life to the Lord and let him work his claim on my life. No one else could make that decision for me. My preacher couldn't make it for me. My parents couldn't make it for me. My siblings couldn't make it for me. I'm the only one that can make that decision. No one else can make that decision and no one else could make Moses' decision. Faced with a dilemma, who am I? Who am I going to be? Moses chose to be part of God's kingdom. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm sure that was a difficult decision. I don't know how hard it was. I don't know how long he struggled with that. Can I leave all that I've experienced to this point in Pharaoh's court? All of the wealth, all of the comfort, all of the privilege and ease, all of the promise that it held out for his future. He was familiar, I believe, with his people. His people were slaves. They were in captivity. They were being oppressed. Life was really difficult. 
And now I need to decide, am I leaving all of this comfort over here? Am I leaving Pharaoh's court? And am I really going to cast my lot with God's people who are living a really difficult existence at this time? Tough decision. How do we make that one? What should he decide to do? On the one hand, he had everything that people seem to covet in life. On the other hand, he would need to give all of that up. It would be gone. Life would become difficult. God had called Moses from the desert. You know why Moses was there? He was there because he was running away from some issues in his life. And I notice here that when he's thinking about this issue, he knows that he needs to be back where God wants him to be, back in Egypt with his people. You know, God doesn't just suddenly take us out of all the struggles of life. He doesn't suddenly put us over here in Canaan. (laughs) There was a lot of work to be done yet. He had to meet Pharaoh. He had to take God's word to Pharaoh. He had to lead the people out of Egypt. And then he had to lead them for 40 more years in the wilderness. So God didn't take him away from all of that. He took him right back into all of that. But he was now with him. These were the children of promise. And I think his choice here really represents one of the most extraordinary acts of deliberate renunciation of the world and a deliberate preference for the spiritual world, for God's kingdom. <laughs> I don't know of any other stories quite like this in the New Testament in, or Old Testament in, in the Word, but a very clear example of what Moses did, the decision that he'd made. How could he make that decision? Why did he make that decision? For one thing, he recognized that the pleasure of sin is fleeting. I think many of you here probably were raised in good Christian homes. You've not had a whole lot of experience with a lot of the sins of the world, and be grateful if you haven't. But the world thinks that there's a lot of pleasure in there, and yet there isn't. You know, I think if I had five, well, let me say this. Uh, My father took me to work at a young age, and, and I worked on a construction crew, and I worked in construction all my life. And uh, to this day, I don't recall working with one born-again believer. And if I had $5 for every time someone said, if God gets me through this day, I'll never drink again, or I'll never do this, or I'll never do that. Lord, just get me through one day here. But guess what? Did it last? No. Friday night, they were partying again. And I think one of the reasons, and maybe the counselors and sociologists would climb all over this, but I think one of the reasons that we have 
addiction is because pleasure doesn't last. It's not satisfying. He doesn't say there's satisfaction here. He says fleeting pleasures, but no satisfaction, no real fulfillment. And so he recognizes that fact, I think. Also, at the end of verse 26 says, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking beyond today, maybe even beyond tomorrow. He was looking beyond the temporal. He was giving consideration to the eternal. And how does he do that? By faith. Faith is what enables him to do that. Faith enables us to make that decision. He could say with the psalmist, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A lot of difference there, isn't there? <laughs> pleasures that are fleeting. Not lasting, not satisfying. Compared to those that God gives, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is the result when we walk by faith and not by sight. We have a beautiful example here of the faith and the decision of Moses. But what about me? What about you? What have you discovered about yourself? Both in terms of identity, but also in terms of plan and purpose. God has one for you, in case you're not aware of that. But what about that? What decision have you made? Are you choosing to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season? And I ask these questions of myself as well, but are you trying to walk with one foot in each world? And believe me, I think that's a real temptation for many of us. We're not quite sure we want to suffer affliction. It comes with being part of the people of God. And so let's just see if we can walk with one foot in the world, one foot in the church. But that gets us into trouble. We need to decide whose will we be. You know, I, I thought of that earlier. Uh, a lot of young people have left home already, and their parents have told them when they leave, now remember who you are. But it's probably better to tell them to remember whose you are. <laughs> remember that you belong to God. I hope, <laughs> I trust, I pray that each of you here today has made that decision to reject the pleasures of sin and to cast your lot with the people of God. It is the right decision. It is the rewarding decision. And I would encourage you, if you have not made that decision, to make it today.
You have no promise of tomorrow. You don't even have the promise of the rest of the day, and neither do I. But let's make sure that we have made that commitment. I understand we're leaving here and we're headed to a baptism. A baptism of several young men who have made that decision. They have decided that Egypt doesn't have what they want. God has placed a call on their life. They needed to decide, and they decided. They decided they would follow Jesus. By faith, they were able to look to the reward as well. And so I just want to wish God's blessing on each of you young men who are being baptized today and just encourage the rest of the congregation to take them as an example. Uh, Brother John Ivan, <laughs> here he is, uh, was hoping that today would be a day that you would remake <laughs> your pledge also. Redo your vows with God. So let me encourage us to do that. May God bless each of you here as you make that decision to walk with God's people and uh, keep your eye on that reward. Let's pray. Father, we pause to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that it is inspired, it is infallible, and that it is sufficient. Father, we thank you for your spirit, which illuminates the word to our hearts and minds. We thank you for examples, these great men of faith that we have recorded in Hebrews 11. We think of Moses, Father, and we think of that decision that we need to make, that part of discovery, Lord, in which we discover that Egypt has a claim on us, but so do you. Help us to wrestle honestly with the dilemma that creates and then to make the decision having our eyes fixed on the reward. By faith, Father, looking beyond today, looking beyond the temporal, looking to the promise of new life that you give to each of us as we commit our lives and our way to you. Father, for those times that those of us who have made these commitments have failed to honor them, forgive us. Forgive us, Father, and and fill us in new ways with your Holy Spirit to walk in your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.